For some of you guys, this may be the first time you engage with this story. For most of you, I suspect you've heard all of these parables, you know, lots and lots of times before. You've been listening to them since you were in Sunday school. And you know the interesting, the parable we're going to look at today is very meta. It's the parable about parables. And the interesting thing about parables is like, really depending on where your heart's at will depend on how much it impacts you and changes you. doesn't matter how many times you've heard them, parables will continue to get, if you let them, they'll get under your skin and they will just cause you to really think about your life in the light of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so this is where, because you know what, we know, even when I said, hey, we're going to talk about parables, a few of the veterans I could feel like a, Whew, here we go again, another trip round the mountain on the old parables, chestnut been there a few times, here we go again, all right, church, isn't it fun, we just keep doing the same, and it's like, yeah, well, this is the problem, well, maybe you need to look at the state of your heart, the soil of your heart, and work out whether you're in a place to hear these precious words of Jesus, that will continue to transform you the more you engage with them, amen, who needs to repent, all right, good to see all those hands in the air, okay, um, and you know, I, and we, we int- like just again, so you know what we do throughout an average year at Bay Vineyard, we follow the church calendar because the church historically has had the wisdom to say these certain events in the life of Jesus are so monumental, we need to keep cycling through them. So we follow the church calendar. Uh, we do topical series like we just did, The Burden is Light. And every year we'll definitely just work our way through some text. So, so far we looked when we started the church at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, last year we, looked, uh, we worked our way through the book of Ephesians. And this year we're going to work our way through some parables, okay? So very good. So C.H. Dodd, a New Testament uh, lecturer, a New Testament scholar, said, at its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness. And I love this. And leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. <laughs> nerd alert, Bible nerd alert. But like, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, big words in there. But it's like, again, C.H. Dodd's trying to say this, like these stories are meant to get under your skin. And um, 2,000 years after they've been told, there's a bunch of, you know, contextual things we need to unpack. And, we, and today I'm kind of going to be like, here's the parable and here's like the interpretation. Uh, but the problem with that is that it's like spoon feeding because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus would say this parable and then leave people to walk away going, what the heck was that about? That doesn't make sense. And often taking you know, cultural stories and then twisting them and messing with them. And then you'd have to just spend the time working out what on earth that meant. And, you know, and as you did that, you began to realize, oh my gosh, this is deeply transformative. Um, and so in this parable, the parable of the sower that we're going to look at today, Jesus says the parable to the crowd, and then the crowd, he leaves the crowd, or he, like, he turns away from the crowd and has a private, quoted a little conversation with the disciples, and says, this is what this parable means. And he does this because he's, uh, let, me, well, let me unpack, let's read the parable, and then we'll unpack a bit more. Sheesh, I'm getting real into it already. Okay, so Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9, then we're going to jump, he says some stuff in the middle there that we'll briefly look at, but then we're going to jump down to the interpretation. So, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. 
such, you know, the interesting thing, <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm going to try not to do this, but I've spent all week drowning in this thing, uh, and I'm just, there's so many little bits that are interesting. But you know, like, he goes by the lake, and, if you, and he jumps on a boat and goes out, and you know, that's like a really amazing acoustic tool. Like if you want to like get your, to be heard, water uh, helps reflect the sound really well so that you can be heard really clearly, even if there's large crowds. They're so interesting, eh? Uh, Jesus went there, large crowds, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Uh, The teachers would sit and the people would stand. That's like, so when the teacher, that's, so it'd be the opposite to this. Uh, that's how it worked back then. A teacher would sit down to teach and everyone else would stand. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly but because, uh, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. End of the engagement for the crowd. That's it. The crowd go, like the crowd have lunch break or whatever. And it's like, that's all they've got to work with. Now the disciples are a bit thick like you and me. Hallelujah. So encouraging. I'm like the 12 Muppets. You know, that's my favorite thing about what I call the disciples. It's like, they're just so beautifully human. They're not super spiritual. They're not, they're not different than you. They're the same as us. And so they hear that. And what I like about the, the disciples, they're so encouraging because at least they have the guts to own it. So the disciples a little bit later are like, what the heck? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? And so uh, the disciples uh, ask him, and Jesus unpacks it for them to help them get going on this is what parables are, uh, are meant to do for you. So how, like, he was Jesus expecting the, the crowd to, to kind of get to this point at some, you know, down the track in terms of the interpretation. But anyway, this is what the parable of the sower means, verse 19. Anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This one produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. You know, over my life, I've been following Jesus all my life, ups and downs, high points, low points, good times, bad times. Um, times where I've been really faithful to Jesus through difficult t- stuff and times where I haven't been so faithful and been a bit naughty. Um, and, uh, but I'm still hanging in there with Jesus, and it's been the best decision just to keep hanging in there with Jesus. But, you know, uh, 17 years ago, I graduated from Bible college, and one of the things that saddens me is that some of my friends that were at Bible college with me either have seriously gone off the boil when it comes to following Jesus I'm not sure, you know, it's not my place to judge. I just can't see. And then some clearly have just walked away completely from, from following Jesus. And it like rips my undies, eh? Like I used to be a youth pastor back in the day, you know, best years of my life, some of them, until I came here, uh, you know, but, uh, 
Benny, I just love being a youth pastor. Why? Because young people are awesome and passionate and like just when they're in, they're in, it's all go and stuff. And so like this epic youth group, it's cool seeing you guys with us today because it's like it just brings up memories of my epic youth group days and being a youth pastor and all that. And some of those guys have gone on to do incredible things for Jesus and some of them aren't following him anymore and it breaks my heart. And so like, what is it about people? Like none of us here want to be any other soil type but the good soil, right? That's why we're in church this morning. So I'm not here to hand out any condemnation burgers or anything. It's like you've actually done well to come here immediately some giant ticks next to your name in terms of the state of your soil of your heart because you're in the room. But there are people that aren't in the room. People that came to Bay Vineyard and I'm just not sure where they're at anymore. You know, and it's like it's really, it's really tough as a pastor, right? Uh, and it's like, oh man, how can we be people that stay faithful and, and not just that, but like that there's just this lovely blessing, that our lives are a blessing to many people, which is the good soil, right? And so this parable unpacks something of what can hinder us from being just great soil for Jesus' word. And, uh, but first, let's have a look at this. In Matthew 13, verse 10, Jesus, uh, the disciples come to Jesus and ask, why do you speak to the people in parables? This is Matthew 13. So if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice uh, that Jesus, you know, Matthew's Gospel, there's all the Gospels. Jesus, just for the start of his ministry, he's just speaking plainly, Sermon on the Mount, is super direct. He's just teaching, occasionally he'll use some parabolic language or some imageries, you know, like build your house on the rock or we need new wineskins or whatever. But it's like he's speaking just, you know, pretty plain uh, messages. And, uh, and what begins to happen, you'll see, is that people don't believe him or they don't like his message, uh, or they don't really trust that he's a valid source. So Jesus validates his message with miracles. And then they're like, oh, these can't be real miracles. Then he starts doing miracles that must be just um, just undeniably supernatural miracles. And then the, the religious leaders come up with this new theory. And you can just read this in Matthew 12. It's like, oh, you know, well, he's, yeah, he's got some supernatural power, but it's not good. It's coming from Satan. And so... And then, like, if you read a Mark's account of this whole thing, in Mark 3, verse 21, uh, it says, this is just before this parable, it says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. So Jesus has got all of this stuff going on where he's got, like, crowds that are kind of engaged with him. He's got this religious um, institution that's super threatened by him. uh, And he's got his family who think he's nuts, right? So if... (laughs) Like, can you, like, and fair enough, okay, let's not judge them here. If my brother was like, yeah, I'm the chosen one, I'm the Messiah, I'm like, I'm all, I'm all that in a bag of chips, I'd be like, whatever, bang, you're so not. And it's like, and he's like, no, I really am, bro. And like, you're crazy, that's what you are. And uh, so his, his uh, even his, not his mother, interestingly, but his siblings, his brothers and sisters, uh, they're like, man, you know, no, nah, you're nuts. And can I just say on the religious thing as well, I mean, Jesus turns up, uh, and he's talking about God coming to us directly and speaking to us. And this really threatens the religious leaders. It threatens their system, the sacrificial system, the Torah, the Lord, uh, the Torah and the law and all that. And they begin to plot, how can we kill him? Now, little side note, I know that church uh, can be tricky at times, right? And that's why I think God likes uh, Jesus set this whole thing up, is that very thing of it being a bit tricky forms something in us. 
It, form, it shapes us to be people of true love. Very easy to love when you, when you get on ev- with every single person, but if you're in a real community, you'll start to bug each other every now and then, and you'll start to get a little irritated, and then we still choose to love. That's why it's such a beautiful gift, right? It is. It's just I've thought about it a lot, and I'm a pastor and all that. But can I also just say that, like, You've got to work through stuff with church, but don't go, oh, yeah, all the religious leaders, you know, Jesus threatened the religious leaders back then and Jesus threatens pastors now. It's like, you have no idea how different this gig is compared to back then. Back then, it's like, Ryan, Ryan's been a bit naughty. All right, then I get to decide how naughty Ryan's been, and if he's been super naughty, we get to kill him. Hey, right? That's the sort of power I have back in the day. Get your heads around that, man. I could imprison you for being naughty. I could, I could say, okay, the law says we've got to stone Ryan for his naughty behavior. So like, there's nothing trying to like compare that, that religious system to the current church does not help, is not helpful, okay? That's just a total side note because I'm trying to, I'm, in this day and age, there's this constant cynicism about church that we need to kill. All right. So Jesus had all these battles going on, religious system, he had like his family, he had people. And so he moves to then from this point on to speaking in parables. And he does this for two reasons. Number one, the parables will separate the crowd and the committed. The parables will separate the crowd and the committed. Jesus didn't want to have a big crowd that enjoyed his teaching. He wanted followers that carried his heart and were deeply transformed. Hey, come on, that's good. I haven't put up on the slide, it's that good. Well, he didn't want the crowd. It's easy, you know, you have a good preaching, so get a crowd. He wanted hearts transformed. The whole Sermon on the Mount is saying your righteous needs to exceed that. Righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees, which is actually impossible because they were like, all oh, just did everything right. To exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees means your heart's transformed because they were doing it just for the external. Jesus wants to change the internal. He's all about the heart. This, this parable isn't a parable of a sower. It's a parable about the soil, and the soil is the heart. He's all about the heart, Jesus. He wants your heart transformed. So this is going to separate the crowd and the committed um, because the second point is when you get committed to Jesus, the parables will reveal deeper truth. They'll speak to you in a deeper way. They'll get under your skin. You'll be mulling over them, chewing them over. Uh, like the, It requires you to engage more deeply with what Jesus is saying and to allow it to sink beyond your head to your heart till you get deeply transformed. And so this parable that we're looking at is the parable about parables. It sets us up to engage with all the following parables in the Gospels with the right understanding of what they're about. Those with hearts that are ready to hear will be transformed by Jesus' teachings, life, and example. But many will hear and not be changed. They will not chew on the word that has been given. They will not allow it to penetrate into their hearts. And uh, so Jesus is saying, if you've got ears, would you hear? Not physically as he's talking about in here. And it's interesting as we read these words, these are the word, these are the red letters, the words of Jesus are spoken to us today. And, uh, and again, this is, um, this is a parable about the soil of our hearts as we hear his words. So let's dive into it. It's quite a simple parable. There's a lot going on though. The classic is like, you know how the Beatles are just awesome? Because it's like the genius is often in their simplicity while we're on the subject. You know, it's like the genius of the Beatles is that every one of their songs is actually quite simple and it, but it's like the genius it takes to write simple so, like song after song after song that's so simple and catchy and so melodic, that's, that's stunning. 
And if, if it's genius, because if it was easy to do, we'd all be writing Beatles songs, right? Be like yesterday, we're just writing all the songs. And it's like, but no, the genius of the Beatles is that they could do all that. The genius of the parables is you have these little stories that are quite short, and it's like, whoa, whoa. You know, like, that's phenomenal. Like, and hopefully there's a little bit of that moment for you. So let's go on. Let's begin to work our way through it. Uh, verse 3, farmer went out to sow his seed. Uh, and so, like, firstly, the, the first thing that would hopefully mess with, definitely the original hearers, I hope it messes with us a bit, is that Jesus regularly talks about the kingdom of God being like a little seed. And what the, you know, many of you, many of you will know this, what the original, hear, like, the, the Israelite people desperately wanted was a powerful, conquering king to turn up and overthrow this horrific system that they were under. And what is Jesus? He says, the kingdom comes like a little seed. It's irritating. We still want a mighty conquering kind of king to turn up and turn up to the bay and be like, here I am, revival, everyone coming to faith. And it's like, no, the kingdom's like a seed. It's like this little word that gets dropped. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's hugely surprising. Uh, it's small. It doesn't crush the land, but it enters the land and begins to change it. And... Uh, uh, Klein Snodgrass, a really bad name, but just, a, um, but probably again one of the best. Uh, this he, he's written the best book on the parables uh, called Stories with Intent, a grunty work. But just I've been reading it this week on, on the, around this parable, and he says the kingdom is a kingdom of the word. It involves a proclamation about God and God's purposes and actions. Language creates a world, and the proclamation of the kingdom makes a new reality available. This is precisely what was happening with Jesus preaching. The kingdom was being made a reality. So Jesus is like there proclaiming the Sermon on the Mount, all these words, and he's proclaiming this stuff. And then it's like, but he's not going to come and overthrow. He's going to let it get into hearts and then and like subversively transform society. And it's, it's true, right? Like at some point for most of you, God has come, revealed himself to you normally, sometimes in power, but it's always been, it's a gentle. And then it's like he just continues to be very gentle and then slowly we're transformed from glory to glory and our lives are changed and societies get changed. Societies get changed as this happens. So perhaps again, we need to restore a bit of confidence in this word. You know, and, and, uh, and that outworks itself in many ways as you leave today and go into the mission field. It's just, it's that little word of encouragement that's spoken. It's right through to those moments where you have those heart-to-hearts with someone and you're like, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. That's a powerful word. You know, and, and uh, through word and deed, we're to proclaim Jesus is Lord. He has come not to conquer, but to come under and to serve. He has come. He has risen. He is present. He is healing. He is here in our midst. This God of the universe is present here in our midst, and he's wanting to bless and encourage and heal and restore. It's just, it's, there's something about it that's just frustratingly gentle and little, and yet, Powerful and can change the world. And Jen, Jen may talk about the mustard seed parable, if I can twist her arm enough. We've begun that discussion in our marriage, and <laughs> you will see who wins when she gets up to preach on that day. 
Verse 19, let's unpack some of these sores. When anyone uh, hears the message about the kingdom and does not hear it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So here we go. Let's dive into the four soils. So we've got uh, folks that hear the word um, and uh, they don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Um, You know, I've got... Uh, empathy for folks. I've been thinking about this a lot. This is why parables are so cool. Like, I've got empathy for people that have got a hard heart. Because no one normally chooses just to have a hard heart. Normally, life comes and trods on it so much, it just gets a bit hard. And sometimes we go through experiences that just have wind up hardening our heart. We get very cynical about human nature because of our experiences or whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, and so there are folks I think sometimes where we can get in, we get in contact with like the amazing truth of who Jesus is, but it doesn't, doesn't hit here. Like we hear it here, but it doesn't come again in here and set our hearts on fire. And uh, maybe that's through circumstances or whatever it may be. There is definitely an evil one that wants to come and snatch that word away. There's definitely an evil force at work that wants to distract and that wants to remind you of all sorts of stuff. And, and uh, the interesting word here is understand. Um, can anyone say that word there uh, in the Greek? Sinemi. It's that word there. Um, and again, so that word understand um, literally means to put together, to assemble the pieces. So it's like to understand, it's like, again, it's not like, oh, you hear a message and then you walk away and that's it. It's like you hear these words of Jesus and you chew on it and you try and pull it all together and you're trying to work out how this all works together. Um, and so it's going to take a little bit of work sometimes to get your heads around all this stuff. Um, and, and can I invite you, if you've been wrestling with it, not to be passive, not to be passive. I know, like, just I know people here today, every Sunday there's folks kind of kicking the tires on the whole thing. And I'm like, just engage with it, like, wrestle with it. If, like, because it's huge. If Jesus is who he says he is, like, it's got, it changes everything. And as C.S. Lewis said, if he didn't, he's a complete nutter. He's a lunatic or worse. But like he can't be like in between somewhere, like some good moral teaching. He didn't leave us the space for us to kind of go. It's like, no, he's either who he says he is or he's complete nut bar. You're going to make the choice. And for many of us in the room, we've gone, we actually, you know, through, especially through the evidence of the resurrection our, and our experience of him today, we believe he is who he says he is, which then softens your heart. And you're like, okay, if that's the case, whew, let's see what this is going to look like. <laughs> and then you're on for a wild ride, right? So I want to invite you to, uh, to invite God to reveal yourself to uh, you. And you know what it's like? Like you talk to so many people that give their testimonies and it's like that moment it moves from the hard heart to like this, the, the penny drops into your heart or something. It's like waking up from a dream or it's like, um, you know, you've been looking at the world with kind of like through just a grayscale filter or something. Like Jesus comes into your heart and begins to lead and it's like color and it's like, oh, and, you know, a lot of people feel like they're in love. They sort of float around for a little while when they first meet Jesus. And who remembers that, you know? And it's just like, it's amazing. It's just like, anyway. So my prayer is that that would happen for you if you feel like you're in that space. Verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Seen this many, many times. 
um, particularly uh, back in my youth pastoring days. You know, we'd go to the conference, and it's like, um, and, uh, and there'd be an altar call, and my mates would become Christians, and, uh, you know, mates from high school or whatever, and it's just like, and they're up the front, they're like, yeah, Jesus, yo, Jesus, I'm leaving the mosh pit, Jesus, joy, 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 down in my heart, where, down in my heart, yeah. And it's like, some of that going on, and then it's like, and interesting, Jesus, there's no problem with that reaction. I'm not mocking. It's awesome. Jesus doesn't say joy's wrong. He doesn't say emotion's wrong in here. So like, of course, that's how we all respond when we first meet Jesus. And hopefully we continue to respond with joy to the Word. That's why we praise. We don't praise every Sunday because I like praise songs and I'm the pastor. We praise Him because He's worthy of our praise. It's a countercultural choice to praise Him in a culture that's super melancholic and only gets joyful if they're on the res. On the diesel, it's like that's not when we, as we're followers, you know, total rent there, but it's like, but the problem is, guys, there has to be a point where you get some roots. You get some roots, and the thing is, the, the high of discovering Jesus doesn't sustain you in the, in, the, in the walk of following Jesus. And sometimes it's like, you know, you go a conference hopper thing, we were trying to go from, from high to high, and that's just not life. Life's tough at times. Life's tough a lot of the time, actually. Like I say this all the time, everyone's battling. The world, the flesh, the devil, it's constantly a battle. Every single one in the room has got a battle with those three before you layer anything else on top of it. Right, so you've got that whole thing going on and you've got to go deeper than just that initial, yeah, You've got to get some roots. You've got to let your roots go down deep. That's like a reggae song waiting to be written, man. Let the roots go. We've got to get the roots, man. Oh, where's Matt? We've got to write a song, bro, about the roots going deep. Because suffering and disappointment, suffering and persecution it will come. Um, and there's two areas uh, that, that they talk, talk about here. Uh, sorry, the trouble and persecution because of the word. Here's two, just off the bat, two things that will happen if you choose to follow Jesus that will hurt, okay? The first thing is that Jesus in his mercy will reveal broken parts of your character as you follow him. Not to make you feel stink because he wants to make you feel whole. He wants to lead you into wholeness. But it's not fun dealing with broken bits of yourself, amen? Can I get an amen from someone It's like, it's like, man, you know, Marie talking about being in counseling. I'm in counseling heaps because of Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. You know, I've been in counseling every year. I've been in ministry because of Jesus, because he points his finger on broken bits of me. And it's like I have this thing of either I face it and walk through it or whether I deny it and start distancing myself from Jesus. And I've talked about this before. The following Jesus is a, is, a, is a series of Easter cycles. You pick up your cross, you die to yourself, it hurts, it isn't fun. Then there's Saturday where you wait and it's like, what's going on here? And then Sunday comes. Sunday comes when new life starts bursting into the world and you realise that, that those things that used to really hurt when you heard that comment or saw that thing, whatever, all of a sudden you realise that's not, it doesn't have its grip on me anymore. All of a sudden love, joy and peace start to infiltrate your life a little bit more because you've done the hard mahi to work through some of the pain and brokenness in your life. Uh, it, it, will, it will cost you as well because if you follow Jesus, it will slow you down. 
It will cost you, uh, it will slow down your career probably. It, will, it may uh, cost you a little bit in your reputation because we do not live in a culture of integrity. And as we choose to follow Jesus, he will cause us to be people of integrity. And so that may cost us in the boardroom or it may cost us as business people or it may cost us at whatever it may be. When it comes to Sabbath rest, which we're gonna be doing a whole module on for our home churches next term, it's like that's gonna slow you down, but it's gonna make you alive. So there's like cost to the whole thing. Are you prepared to slow your career down or whatever it may be and all of those things because you've said yes to Jesus? And you've got to deal with the like, maybe I'm going to miss out. And then you discover you've found the pearl of great price where it doesn't matter what price you pay, it's going to give you life and life abundant anyway. But it's going to cost you. Tim Keller says these people, they're trying to get Christ to enter their kingdom, Christ to fulfill their agenda. They wanted a blessing, not a savior, a sugar daddy, not a king. Help and relief, not salvation. Like honestly, guys, the, like the whole thing of the soil, receive it with joy. There's just that, those those roots aren't there. There's not that depth. Uh, and and I want to do a little plug here, of course, for um, devotional for your devotional life. Like roots and real terms means you're connected to a church community. You're connected to a small group community, a home church type of community, and that you're growing your devotional, your private world with Jesus. Concentric circles, you and Jesus, smaller group, tribe. So again, awesome win for you guys here today. Tick at least the tribe box, well done. Pat yourselves on the back, you're not the worst Christian in the world. Good feeling, all right, okay? So, um, but you know, I've, I've thought so much about this. One of, the, one of the, my observations, there's no data here, mine of my observations are that those that are following faith, Jesus faithfully from my youth group back in the day developed a private world with Jesus where they have a devotional life. Include, even the guys at Bible college who went there to study the Word and all that, like hardcore Christians at that point, people that developed a devotional life with Jesus, they're the people that have continued to be faithful. And one day I want him to look at all of us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Through all ups and downs of life. All right, let's move down to verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns. Now, this is the one that's got to sting, guys. I'm sorry. Jesus' word's not mine. Take it up with him. But this is challenging for our culture. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, this is probably the most common type of soil in our churches today because the interesting thing about this, these people have roots. These people don't, they don't jump in and out of church or go hot and cold. They're faithfully there most Sundays and they're, you know, like they're, they've got roots, but they're not bearing a lot of fruit. And, uh, and so, uh, there's, so the, what are the two things? The worries of this life. Uh, another way of translating this uh, is the anxieties of life. I'm, I'm absolutely amazed at how often Jesus challenges unnecessary anxiety. Now, what do I mean by unnecessary anxiety is the things that you cannot control, that you try to control, and you do that by being anxious. And I'm really guilty of this, and I've been working hard on this for many years now, where it's like we get, and like certainly in a media-saturated world, it's easy to be super anxious about stuff that you've got zero control over. Right? You read the news. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I love torturing myself, and so I'm on Twitter, and, and I've got a list of, like, my news sites to look at most days, and I try to read a cross-section of the different, um, you know, biases that media have and all that. But it's never great for the soul, you know? It's like, I'm not really wired to carry what's happening in Syria, because it's like, it's full-on, and it's, you know... 
It may be moments I can give something to World Vision or whatever, but for the most part, it's so beyond my pay grade. Uh, And is it what God's calling me to engage? I'm not sure maybe to pray for it, but it's like, you just, you know, we feed ourselves with so much, not to mention the fact we're on Instagram all the time comparing our lives to everyone else and thinking that our life's pretty rubbish. Come on, can I get an amen? Right, it's like, but just and we get angry. Oh man! And it's just this anger, the cares of this world, and so we get consumed with all of this stuff, and it just robs us of fruitfulness. Uh, so you know, again, I'm not saying that. Of course, we're going to get anxious about you know your kids. You know, there's stuff on our side of the table. I'm not saying all anxiety is bad, but there's a there's a point where it's like. It's such a distraction and we can live in that space that it, it ceases uh, to be any way helpful for our souls and causes us to, uh, to, to again lose a fruitfulness because you can't be praying for other people, thinking about other people when you're consumed in your own anxiety. You can, like, we're called to follow Jesus who lived a life of a blessing to others. It's very hard to do that when we're consumed in our own world. So and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to kick anyone's butt here. Jesus gently wants to lead us into a place of peace. And like Charlotte was saying, that whole thing of surrender, surrender and control. Lord, I relinquish the control and I live in surrender to you. Just give me peace. And, and you know, probably the most common prayer I pray for people in prayer ministry is Lord, grace for today. Just a lot of people going through all sorts of stuff. And the thing I'm like, just for today, Lord, would you give this person grace and wisdom about how to live just today? Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Let's just deal with today. Grace, wisdom for today. Some of you guys have heard. Like, oh, he prayed that over me last week. Yep. And the second thing is the deceitfulness of wealth. This is a real zinger, man. Like just getting really focused on getting it, keeping it, worrying about it. Um, and, uh, and, and again, I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with wealth. It's just that when it takes that position of idolatry, like we were really consumed with it. You know, worship is whatever our heart and our mind are, are, are fixed on, are devoted to. It's like I want my heart's affections and my mind's attention to be drawn to Jesus, first and foremost. It's the number one thing. But often we can have this kind of worshipful posture to these other things. Um, and so... Uh, there's nothing wrong with wealth, but we've just got to be we've got to be very clear here. Jesus never said it produces fruit that really matters. Like our culture just fully is like that's the thing you're gonna go after, then you're like, then you're somebody, then you can you know, life's a lot easier and all the rest of it, and blah blah blah. And it's like we get super like our whole culture is consumed with it, our whole economic system's based around this. But we all know the the reality. That, that they're not the people whose lives have made the biggest impact on the world, or on us even. Like, if that was the case, it would be only wealthy people that would have an impact on your life, which means straight away pastors are out of the picture, <laughs> right? And it's like, no, it's like there's nothing wrong with it, but like making that the big thing is like, actually, that doesn't produce fruit in your life that matters, the fruit that matters is love, love for others, care for others, discipling others, blessing others, and journeying with Jesus and coming alive with him through all the ups and downs of life. That's what really matters. Uh, and so we can have a divided heart where work gets too important, where our priorities, our values aren't straight, and these thorns have entered the soil of our life, and they're competing for those same nutrients, to jump into the metaphor. Like they're in there and they're trying to like, they're going to take, they're going to take space in your life which means it's going to be difficult to bear fruit. 
And uh, so Tim Keller says this, this message cannot be satisfied with casual or temporary attention. Rather, it is all-encompassing and will not share the stage with wealth and the mundane cares of life. Challenging, eh? But, but again, the fear is that if we choose hardcore Jesus, like I'm going to be hardcore Jesus, that we're going to miss out, right? That's the fear. Like I want you, Jesus, but I want all this stuff too. And I'm worried that if I just choose you, I'm not going to get any of these things. But the Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto you. They'll just be in their right place. So just because you're passionate about certain things doesn't mean that that passion will change or go or that you can't outwork that passion. It just means that that passion will be under the lordship of Jesus and you can share it with Jesus, which is really cool. It's not trying to fulfill that need of identity or fill that place in your heart that only Jesus should take, right? So you don't miss out when you follow Jesus, if only we could say that to all of society, but unfortunately the kingdom's like a little seed. But I want to get on a megaphone and drive up and down the streets going, it's better than you think. You don't miss out when you choose Jesus. Why? Because when you choose Jesus, you're choosing life, the author of life, the giver of life, the one that, that sets us alive, the resurrection and the life. He's the life. You don't miss out on life if you choose Jesus. Young people, hear me. You don't miss out on life if you choose Jesus. It's the richest life you can possibly live is when you radically choose the way of Jesus. And then what happens, you, then you become seed that falls on good soil and you begin to hear the Word and understand it. So you chew on it and it's all, but it consumes you. And then you produce a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. It's good soil. You've, the stones have been removed and the thorns uprooted. You've done time up the front with prayer ministry. You've been in the counseling room. You've confessed your sins. You've done all that stuff. You've dealt with the soil. And then the plant can get super healthy. The, the word uh, here is someone who hears the word. So the word hear, sama, is often translated in English as obey in the New Testament. So, so you hear, it's not just like, again, Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, his big thing was, I don't want you just to hear the word, I want you to apply it to your life. If you apply it to your life, then you're like building your house on a rock. If you just hear the word and don't do it, then you've built your life on the sand. And when the storms of life come, and they will, then it's all, wow, it turns out my foundations are super shaky because my whole thing was based on, I don't know, an economic thing. And if I have money, I'm sweet. But then an economic crisis came and I realized my whole life is built on sand, Right? Or like, man, my whole, I'm a pilot and this is my best gig ever. And then like a COVID comes along and it's like, oh, it turns out my whole life's built on shaking. And when you build your life on Jesus by applying his word to your life, then you build your house on the rock. And so uh, this is uh, someone who understands and deeply engages. Now, I want to say this. You'll note that, um, you know, the soil of your heart can change. So like with Jesus' family, they move from being hard soil, like, oh, no, all sorts of cray-cray Jesus, you know. And it's like, no, they move from that space to, like, hardcore following him after the resurrection. As Brother James writes the book of James that you find in your Bible. I mean, they go full on. They're like, yes, he is. And for me, there's no more compelling evidence that Jesus is who he says he is than the fact his siblings were willing to testify about that. Like if Judah and Eli, like if Eli was like, I'm Jesus, I'm, this, I'm the Messiah, whatever, and then one day Judah said, yes, he is, that's, whoa. Because <laughs> Judah would be the first to be like, whatever, bro, bang, king of the shins there, that's not you. <laughs> it's like the fact the sibling said it was her, there's some evidence to me anyway. And then we bear fruit. We bear fruit. I just, I just want to honor people this morning that I just, you're bearing fruit. 
You're bearing fruit because you love people and you have people in your homes and you care for them. And, and our youth pastors and youth workers here, you're bearing fruit. Young people, have you stopped to consider that these guys could be doing something else this weekend? Have you stopped to consider that there's lots of other things that these guys could do with their lives and yet they choose to invest into you guys and love you guys and because they, they're good soil and they want to be fruit. Let's honour them today. All of our home church leaders, you know, I think of, uh, you know, um, oh, I was just thinking, not just, you know, home church leaders, I, I want to honour them because it's like, you know, open your home and, and, and here at Bay Vineyard, we're, de- we're deeply serious about discipleship. So in our home churches, that's where it happens. We learn the practices that help us to become more like him. So like, I feel for the first time in my pastoring life, oh, I can hand on heart say we're a discipling culture because in our home churches, right? But it's not just exclusively that. It's like people inviting uh, folks into their homes and reaching out to people. And uh, all the time, I'm just hearing lovely stories about ways people are caring for each other and loving others in this church. And it fills me with just so much joy as a pastor. Well, that's good soil. That's good soil stuff. People at prayer meetings, people inviting around for homes for dinners and all that sort of stuff. And again, because we don't want to be a, be a people that just see converts, we want to see disciples. Conversion is a very important part of that journey, but often we've had that as the big focus and the big win when Jesus has disciples that are the big win. Uh, C. Keener says the only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. Uh, this is what this is where it, it really matters, and this is why for me, um, you know, things like home church matter deeply, where people grow, where they bear fruit, and and the most important thing that we're looking at this term is like a deep devotional life, um, that uh, that's going to sustain you through all of the different times seasons of life. It's key, and it's something everyone can have, even if it's small and short, <laughs> which is normally how we all start. Little, little, just tapping into Jesus and being with Him and having that little moment, all of that sort of stuff. I finish with this: the soil of our heart stays soft as we position ourselves in three places, allowing the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. Secondly, by allowing the Scriptures to change our hearts, and thirdly, by being part of the community called the Church, which keeps our hearts soft. Those are the three things that God has given us, the Spirit, the Scriptures, and the Church. So again, Anya, for being here today. Anya, your legends. Thank you for not just listening with your ears, but listening with your heart. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's what Jesus is all about. As we continue this parable series, listen with your heart, don't listen with your ears. You've all heard that parable, many of you, many times before. But hopefully there's something the Lord's saying to you this morning. And... Uh, uh, and as we take uh, this journey, I just pray that you'd have ears to hear. And ultimately, the prayer as we continue to, to journey as a church together is that we would let Jesus change us, softening our hearts and, uh, and leading us to a point where our lives are a blessing, that many people, because of our lives, would be blessed and encouraged, many people would be served, many people would be discipled, and above all, many people would be loved. That's how we want to spend our lives, eh? And, uh, and that's, how, uh, that's the invitation of Jesus. And it happens as we say, we're all in with you, Jesus. We're all in with you. And so um, I'd like us just to finish by meditating on this just for a second. This is, uh, we're, every week we're going to give opportunity for prayer. Um, but this week will be a little bit more low-key um, if you want to come and sit in this front row um, because of just either what um, the Lord's doing in your heart um, today. 
uh, then you can come. We'd just love to bless what God's doing. Um, or if you don't know Jesus, you want to follow him, you can come up and we'd love just to pray for you and introduce you to him and begin that journey. But what I'd love us to do is spend some time with uh, God. Because uh, Jesus talks about hard hearts, shallow hearts, and distracted hearts. Hard hearts, shallow hearts, and distracted hearts. And as I've been chewing and sitting on this parable over this last week in preparation for today, I've realized that parts of my heart are hard, parts of my heart are shallow, part of my hearts are a bit distracted, and parts of my heart are quite good soil. Interesting, eh? And, I've just, and it's like he's just begun to speak about these, these different parts of my life. And I'm, I just, it's like, oh, Lord, I really want to be good soil. <laughs> but that journey, getting there, can be just weird and tricky and all the rest of it. And this is what parables do. It's like, all right. And then hopefully if you, you know, it's like, well, Jesus, help me. Help me to have good soil. And you know what that looks like will be different for every person in the room what that next step of obedience to hear, like to obey, what that next step of obedience looks like will be different for every person in the room. But let's just let's sit with Jesus. Let's sit with Jesus. He's the Word. He is the Logos. He's the Word made flesh. And He's in the room, and He wants to speak to you. So let's just take a moment just to be with Him.